all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? I'm Rachel. I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. <laughs> you can follow us Insta, Twitter, Facebook at All Bad Things Pod. Email us allbadthingspod at gmail.com. Join our Facebook discussion group and our Discord. Yes, do all those things <laughs> simultaneously, as we say. We've had um, what appears to be a, a decent number of people discovering us. Really? Okay. Yeah, a little bit. Um, and for, I'm not entirely sure why, because we're not a serialized podcast, but a lot of people feel compelled to start at episode one. <laughs> right. <laughs> and listen chronologically. <laughs> That's a lot of episodes to get through. It's so many. At this point. Yes, it's really so very many. So uh, if you're catching up to this, Greetings from the future or the past, because by the time you get to this, we'll be for more episodes farther ahead. It'll be like a hundred more episodes. <laughs> right? We need to do something for our, let's see, this is coming out June 28th. Okay. That's like two weeks before our fourth anniversary. We have to do something for our fourth. Mm-hmm. Potiversary. For our fourth potiversary, mm-hmm. yes. Can you believe we've been doing this for four years? No, I can't. <laughs> 200 this is episode 208 wow no i <laughs> i know uh what you drinking i am having the finest national local beer what are you having <laughs> i am not having that <laughs> i am having let's see sycamore brewing where are they out of i think that's north carolina isn't it is it let's see uh charlotte oh okay yeah. We haven't been there, have we? I don't think so. Mm-mm. We've been to Charlotte. Yes. Just not yes, to, yes, uh, yes. Right. Just uh-huh. not to Sycamore. This is Sycamore's stoned fruit, sweet ale with fruit. These fruits are stoned. Juicy mango, sticky peach, and sweet nectarine deliver some far out flavor to this refreshing wheat ale. Seat back, seats back, windows up. You like to drive with your seat. <laughs> the recline. What are you talking about? <laughs> your seat. You like. You like to do the nineties, like reaching out to the wheel. Oh well, yeah. Like that. Riding dirty. <laughs> I prefer to touch the um, touch the pedals, which I could, means I, touch, I have to be very close. I could to touch the, the pedals. <laughs> So, um, last week was a very hockey-filled episode. Yes, it was. <laughs> I hope people enjoyed. I think so. I think it was a good, uh, long it diversion. It was very long. <laughs> yeah. Um, where are we now in, because I've completely lost track, in the Stanley Cup playoffs? At the moment, uh, speaking of right now in this, this moment. June 23rd. Yeah, Tampa Bay is beating the Islanders 2-1 to one in the third period, so if Tampa Bay winds up winning, they are in the final. Okay. And tomorrow, the Canadians... Could, if the Canadians win tomorrow, they're in the final. Nice happy time. Mm-hmm. When was the last time they made it to the Stanley Cup? 
that final. It would have been 93 the last time they won it. Wow, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, but the Lightning's been there a lot more they, recently. They're the defending champions. Mm, mm-hmm. What about the Islanders? The Islanders have not been to the Stanley Cup final since 1984, I believe, wow. or 85. Do they have a chance to come back? Yeah, I mean, they're only losing right now 2-1, to one, so... And what's the series at? Three to two, um, Tampa Bay. <clears throat> so it's been close. Yeah, okay. all the games for for that series pretty much have been close. There have been some lopsided games to say the least in the Vegas. Oh really? Well, no, not, no. I'm thinking of the wrong series. The Islanders lost the last game eight to nothing. But, what? Uh, <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. How is that a possible hockey it's, score? It happens. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, either way, it's going to be a good final. Okay, what what's the Knights and uh, Habs? It's three two Habs. Okay, so if they win tomorrow night, that's it's over, mm. and and they're in Montreal tomorrow night. So, okay, well, uh, bon chance Montreal. Oui oui. Because <laughs> I guess if if you're talking um, fairness, a four year old hockey team shouldn't win the Stanley Cup before. I mean, they shouldn't. But, well, all the all the teams that are left in this have won a Stanley Cup at least once, except oh, okay. except for Vegas. Oh, but, but that's all, so but that's new. only because it's their fourth season. Right, right. We'll we'll determine thirty yeah. years from now if that's still the case yeah. or not. <laughs> but unlike the Toronto Maple Leafs, since nineteen sixty seven, the Vegas Golden Knights have actually played for a Stanley Cup. <laughs> oh my God, that's so true. <laughs> In their, very That's so first, sad. in their very first season. Oh, yeah. apologies to Toronto. Yeah. Oh, wow. Apologies to a lot of teams. Yeah. <laughs> Except just, I imagine Toronto is a very cool city. It oh, it's great. Cool. I love Toronto. Yeah. I would very much like to go there. Yeah. That's on the. That's near the top of the list. I've not been in a long time, but it's it's a great city. Maybe that's a decent um, trip we can make sometime sure. pretty soon. Yeah. That'll be a good one. I don't know what Canada's restrictions are right now on international I don't know either. travel. I think most countries have kind of, I, I, and plus there are neighbors. I think most companies or companies countries are pretty much like if you've been vaccinated, it's okay. The EU is, I think, yeah. if you can prove your vaccination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the U.S. is very. Uh, it's kind of all over. Not the place on right now. board for having anybody prove their vaccination. Yeah, uh, well. So that Biden specifically said we're not doing any sort of vaccine passport thing or whatever. So I don't know, but that's interesting. Mm-hmm. It might be easier to get into than to get out of. I don't know. That's I don't know. I'm I, not paying attention to any of that stuff at the moment. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So <clears throat> I. I saw this topic, the topic of this week's episode, I had put it on our spreadsheet, right? Our topics spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That's now to up to like 500 or something like that. So we have enough topics to last us like An six more years. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I was just kind of looking for something like, okay, what's our next topic going to be? We do have a couple of listener scripts. We're definitely going to get to those. But I was like, but, you know, let's um, pepper in at least some of what we're supposed to be doing, which is research. And you did last week. So mm-hmm. I uh, I saw this topic and I was like, wait, what was that? And I looked into it and lo and behold, it turned out to be a decently interesting topic um, and possibly one of the most uh, complicated medical sounding 
subjects and titles of any of our episodes. Okay. So, this is the story of diethylstilbestrol. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, <clears throat> uh, beginning around 1940, the drug diethylstilbestrol, also known as DES, that's the okay. like, abbreviation, a synthetic hormone was taken uh, by, well, okay, the number of people who were actually prescribed it were not positive, but at, at any rate, possibly millions of people took it. But once uh, it was once FDA approved and thought to be safe, but then the drug was pulled from the market in 1971, and technically it wasn't really pulled. It was um, advised against, sorry, I wrote this prior to <laughs> the latter part of it. It was advised against when some of the drug's effects were revealed to be devastating, including cancer, blood clots, birth defects, fibroids, and infertility, leading to its nickname, silent thalidomide. Ooh. So it's been a while since we've done thalidomide. That was one of our early, early yeah, episodes. Yeah, that was like a, one of our first couple of episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even though that intro was riddled with inaccuracies, <laughs> well, we'll get to the the full reality of it. So primary sources for this episode were the American Cancer Society, the Cleveland Clinic of uh, Cleveland Clinic Fire fa- fame, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, DES Action, the Embryo Project Encyclopedia, Hormones Matter, Morbid History, News Medical Life Sciences, and take it always for granted, Wikipedia. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> this topic involves some deep diving into science and medicine. So, it should be super fun to hear me try to explain it. And I am a complete layperson. Take nothing I say as any version of medical reality or, or advice. Um, so, what we'll be dealing with today specifically is the field of endocrinology. Which is the study of the endocrine system. Okay. Uh, and that's the biological system responsible for ho- hormones. Now, when I say, ho- and I understand I'm setting you up for failure, but trust me, I had no idea until I looked into it how to properly define this. But if I were to ask you to define hormones, what or what comes to your mind? What do you think of? What do you associate hormones with? Just a natural reaction that you're body has when you're growing up like puberty and stuff yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yep um we will be mentioning body parts and sex in this (laughs) a fair amount so yes um yes most people when you think about hormones you think about like sex menopause um periods acne testosterone and those are certainly part of the endocrine system But a lot more is involved. So everything from our digestion to metabolism to sleep to stress to growth to mood are regulated and influenced by hormones and their levels in our bodies. And from what I can tell, in a little rabbit hole that I spent way too long in to just not really find anything very helpful, um, steroids are a type of hormone. Sure, yeah. Like a a subset. It's a hormone boost, essentially. I believe. Well, so interestingly, I didn't get that impression. Now, so 
in the turn in the way you're probably thinking of it, like like roids, right? Mm-hmm. Like taking steroids either for medical purposes or for purposes of like bulking up or whatever. Yes, you're right about that. It's meant to like elicit an effect from mm-hmm. the body, right? But there are also just naturally occurring steroids in our sure. bodies. They're yeah. subset, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they are broadly included in the category of hormones, from what I could tell. Uh, so what I find the most fascinating thing about hormones is that they don't only affect our body, like our physiology, but they influence our actual behavior. Okay. So hormones are responsible for certain levels of certain kinds and in certain ways, be our behavior. Um, and a very obvious pop culture example of this is the idea of people who take HGH or human growth hormone, they get big. And then what's another side effect, a common behavioral side effect? Uh, well, with HGH, eventually they all have to get braces because their heads um, get bigger and their teeth separate. And I'm not joking about well, that. Well, because their bones are growing, right? Yeah. Yes. But what about behavior wise? Uh, I, d- I really don't know as far as when it comes to HGH. Roid rage? Does that, but that's not the same as HGH. The uh, human go- growth hormone is mm-hmm. a steroid, yeah. Right, well, uh-huh. it's not the same as traditional steroids, I guess, but um, I, I don't know. Yeah, uh, roid rage. Yeah, yeah. Okay. so because it not only affects um, physiology, but it affects uh, psychology, too, which is really weird, because you'd think that like we have more control over our behavior then maybe at times we really do, which is interesting. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Like, I, I think most uh, professional athletes who are dabbling in mm. performance enhancement have moved. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. I think HGH is, you know, so yesterday at this point. Oh, it's but old it's, school. But it's funny when it came on the scene and people started realizing what it was and knew about it. Uh, what's Summer Olympics? So, 20, I think the 2008 Summer Olympics, yes. Okay. Um, I used to listen to a lot of sports. Sydney, Beijing. What I think that, that was Beijing. Beijing. Uh, I used to listen to a lot of sports talk radio in this one show I was listening to. He, he had the authors on who basically um, busted all the people, all the baseball players using steroids. Mm. And he like was like in that uh, Billy Corbin yes. documentary. Yep. Uh-huh. Um, and then they were they were talking talking about because it, it was the Olympics had just finished that year and they were talking about it and he's like and he's in the studio talking to him. He's showing him the picture of all these track and field runners in Beijing, mm-hmm. like almost all of them had braces. That's wild. Mm-hmm. Because of that, because of the Likely, effect. likely because of HGH use. Well, if you look at an average group of adults, you're not going to find like... Well, Olympics aren't, they're not necessarily adults. They're, they're, that's they're, fair enough. That's fair enough. That's a lot of teenagers. Late teens can, and early can, 20s is pretty... Which maybe that's yeah. not so unusual to have braces in your late teens, per se. Per se. <laughs> Given the, the context. Yeah. Context clues. So if HGH is out, what is the new thing? Oh, who knows? Super HGH? I mean, there, there's right. all, there's always yeah. a new thing. Yeah, fair enough. And the people who are trying to catch that, I mean, you, you'll never catch them. Because by the time you've caught on to the new thing, they're already, they're, they're already they're, on to the next thing. That's true. Yeah. I remember listening to, like, uh, Paul and Young Ron on the radio multiple years ago and paul who was like in his 50s was talking about using testosterone cream sure and that that was like a a supplement Mm -hmm. sort of a thing and and some of this is very much prescribed fully Mm -hmm. like by medical professionals and so forth we have a steroid cream for yeah we do right for skin condition (laughs) yeah Yeah. Uh uh-huh um 
And both of us have had to take steroids for various uh, mm-hmm. uh, medical conditions. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. When you're talking about steroids for athletes, it's oh, that's highly a... purified and it's yeah. concentrated. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Um, and it's usually a cocktail, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Combinations. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So as with basically any field of medicine, we don't always understand much about the function of hormones in the human body, uh, but we've been manipulating them for a very long time. Sure. <laughs> uh, one of the earliest examples of manipulating hormones is the practice of castration. Ah, that's fun. Yep. Uh, for anyone who may not know what that means, that is removing the testicles. Uh, also, real quick, before I go too much farther, because we're going to be talking about hormones, we're going to be talking about sex, right? Like male and female and stuff. And it tends to be in this type of field, at least in what I was reading, it comes across very binary. Male hormones, female hormones, whatever, male sex, female sex. And I just want to make it very clear that we understand that gender is a construct. (laughs) Um, And also that sex, even biologically, exists on a continuum. That just because somebody has estrogen present in their body doesn't mean they're female. Just testosterone doesn't mean male. People have different levels of different hormones. There are people who are intersex. And may have different uh, sex organs or sex organs of uh, both, quote unquote, binary sexes, you know. We just want to very quickly disclaim that we completely understand that this is a very sort of black and white view of things that just isn't that practical, let alone modern way of thinking of it. And if you have anything against trans people, you can fuck the fuck off. And quit listening right now and never come back. Leave us a shitty one-star review and goodbye to you because don't need any of that ignorance. So castration has been around for a long time. From what we can tell, it's been practiced in various forms for about 6,000 years. Good times. (laughs) Uh, Castration has a long history of use from, for many purposes, from punitive to religious uh, have you ever heard the term eunuch? I was going to say, isn't that basically the same? <laughs> Pun- punitive and religious. There's a lot of crossover. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> but in, Especially 6,000 years ago. But in all cases, <clears throat> it seems like the civilizations and the people involved seem to understand the relationship between that part of the body, between the testicles, and a person's perceived masculinity and or level of aggression. Like that was a direct, kind of a direct correlation that seemed to have been made. And in fact, in people born with testicles, testicles, I almost said (laughs) testicles, they do produce important hormones primarily. What do the testicles produce? Semen. Well, yes. Hormone. I, the, yeah, don't ask me. I, Testosterone. Don't ask me, just don't ask me any science questions. <laughs> Testosterone. Okay. Primarily. Okay, that's I'm not, not going to know the answer. You're right about semen, too. <laughs> and we're going to get into a really gross story about semen later. So. Can't wait. <laughs> Enjoy. Um, so, and testosterone is pri- responsible for a number of primary and secondary sex ca- characteristics. Uh, secondary sex characteristics being things like facial hair. Okay. Um, or a deepened voice, things like that. Um, 
starting in the uh, so there is a history, as I said, of castration in terms of punishment, domination, subjugation, things like that. Starting in the 16th century, and this is something I did learn about in music school. <laughs> There is also a very odd correlation with music because the castrato became a thing, which is a man with a very high voice achieved by castration prior to puberty so that his voice doesn't change. Uh, and that practice <laughs> did eventually fall out of favor, not until the late 1800s. I was going to say, it's still it fairly recent. A while. Yeah. Yes. Interestingly, because of that timing, only one solo recording exists of a castrato because it oh, like, okay. ended pretty right much when we when discovered how to record things. You got it. Uh, and that was a Sistine singer named Alessandro Moreschi, which I just thought that was interesting. But um, Of course, castration is still in use today from the highly controversial chemical castration on sex offenders. <clears throat> Uh, to much more consensual elective castration. Like if somebody is transitioning from being male, um, they may elect for castration uh, and integrate that procedure in their transition. Now, in the mid-19th century, experiments began on animals. Uh, sorry about this. Involving castration. Like they literally transplanted testicles from one animal to the other. Like the ship. We've done animals is horrific. But anyway, um, so so that's when they started realizing that, like, if you took the testicles from one ant, this is like the most disgusting episode we've ever done, like the most explicit episode biologically, but and and pl- transplanted them onto another animal, that animal would start to gain uh male sex characteristics, you know? So it's like, uh, hey, these these glands have something to do with these characteristics, right? <laughs> I'm doing you the are, hand motion, yeah. sorry. <laughs> Later that century, so uh, in the 19- 1800s, the first known human experimentation with basically roiding up took place when a French physician named Charles-Edouard Brown-Sicard made himself... His own subject of his own experiment. That's obviously seems, there's <laughs> seems fair. There's a long history of uh, medical people doing that and back in the day. He is the first scientist known to postulate the a theory of hormones. He didn't name them that. It was just kind of like a substance he was theorizing about. Squeamish warning here. Here's where we're going to talk about stuff. At age 72, this man. <laughs> injected a mix of his own making like a little special sauce into himself that consisted of blood and semen from the testicles of animals like dogs and rabbits okay (laughs) well in in, in his in his case he's 72 he's like i don't have that much longer to live anyway back in the 1900 or 1800s right like i'm surprised Mm -hmm. i made it this far He said that he saw major gains in strength and stamina, especially given his age. So essentially, this man, very grossly, was the person who basically discovered hormone replacement therapy. Yes, this man's great-grandson would go on to be Jose Canseco. (laughs) Hopefully hopefully he did not inject himself. I wouldn't be surprised. Like... Can you imagine the black market shit that's out there? Oh my there? god, like who, oh. who who knows? I mean, and again, because athletes these days are highly paid, 
I mean, the difference between you not injecting bull semen and in- right? injecting bull semen could be the difference between tens of millions of dollars. That's, it, it's true, yeah. That so, uh, you know, <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do. <laughs> it's so gross, but yeah. Ah, so, uh, basically, hormone replacement therapy was kind of discovered at that point, which in, in modern context... It's, it's actually a very good discovery to is. make. In yes. modern context, it's used more um, in things like menopausal women mm-hmm. to ease symptoms of menopause, things like that. But <laughs> not, not, not honeymooning with a 72-year-old guy just for kicks. There you, <laughs> there you go. Other experiments were done by other physicians involving thyroids around this time, too. Thyroids are part of the endocrine system. Eventually, in the very early 20th century, the term hormone was coined by physiologist Ernest Starling. Um, Big gains were made in the field of endocrinology in the first few decades of the 20th century. Very noticeably, or notably, insulin, which is a hormone, Mm -hmm. was discovered to be highly effective in the treatment of diabetes in 1921. Can you imagine prior to 100 years ago? I I guess you just lived a terrible life and died. Pretty, like, I mean, there are a lot of conditions very livable and treatable today, Mm -hmm. right? That... A hundred years ago. Yeah, no way. Well, I mean, I say a hundred years ago, but even things like you can live with HIV and be healthy today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas 30 years ago, that was not a possibility. No, it was a death so. sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, adrenaline is another hormone. Sure. Epinephrine. So I don't know why I just randomly mentioned that. I really didn't put that anywhere here. But so all of that background is just kind of important in understanding uh, where our understanding of hormones and the endocrine system stood at the time period that we're going to discuss. So I didn't realize it was also recent. I didn't know that insulin was only kind of discovered and isolated 100 years ago. That seems mm-hmm. extremely recent. It does. I mean, the whole medical field has just seen leaps and bounds and advancement, like similar to and, technology, and, right? And it always will. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like 100 years from now, people are going to be like the, the arcane days of the 2020s. Right. We'll be the dark ages. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. So by around the late 1930s, when the drug in question that we're going to be talking about, so diethylstilbestrol, or DES, was being developed, uh, we're only about like 10, 15 years removed from having de- understood insulin. So, and still within a few decades of experiments with female sex hormones. So, in the early 20th century, scientists began working on isolating estrogen. So to overly simplify a correlation or a comparison, testosterone equals male, estrogen equals female. Those are completely false equivalencies. But like just to give sort of the estrogen is a primary sex hormone found in those who are considered biologically female. Right. Um And testosterone is categorized as a primary sex hormone in men. Now, it's also important to realize that men have estrogen and women have testosterone as well, even those who are cisgendered. So Uh, estrogen is actually more of a category of hormones. It's not just this is a here's this hormone estrogen. It's actually several. Uh, There's three major estrogens, estrone, estradiol and estriol. And these hormones play a 
big biological role in the human body. It controls fertility, sex characteristics like breast development, ovarian function, sex drive, but it also plays a big role in mental health as seen as conditions like obsessive compulsive disorder and uh, PMD, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, kind of sometimes called PMS, but that has that term has a very troubled history in terms of people not quite taking it seriously or understanding what it really is and postpartum depression as well. And it serves other biological functions. It regulates bone density and plays a, an important role in the immune system. So like one of the things, uh, you know, older cis women are often um, uh, prone to osteoporosis mm-hmm. in older age because there's a reduction of estrogen in the body's system and estrogen helps maintain bone density. So that's, and then hence hormone replacement therapy and all that stuff. So uh, again, I'm totally glossing over a lot of the medicine on this, but, uh, and there's also a correlation between some types of cancer, like colon cancer and breast cancer and low estrogen levels. It doesn't necessarily mean one always causes the other. It's just that it plays a role or it can play a role. So, They established the link between estrogen and all these important biological functions, and they isolated estrogens as hormones. So the next logical step to scientists was, can we synthesize estrogen? Can we make synthetic estrogen? Um, And the reason that they started developing that was to see, like, okay, if we have people who are having problems because of low estrogen levels, well, if we synthesize it, then we can just inject it into them, basically, right? Uh, and so that could be for people like people who had diff- difficulty conceiving, who wanted to become pregnant, um, treating some types of cancers or preventing some types of cancers. So the first synthesized estrogen was created in 1934 by Sir Edward Charles Dodds, a British biochemist at Oxford University. Um, So he created this product, but it was actually incredibly impractical. It had to be uh, injected, and it had to be injected frequently. So it just, in, in the real world, it didn't really work, right? Like if you had to go to your doctor every, you know, X number of days to get injected with this stuff for it to be effective. It's not, not exactly practical. Right, not practical and not marketable, mm-hmm. importantly, right? Um, so over the next few years, more work was done on this newly synthesized estrogen at Oxford, and that eventually led to a new version of this synthetic estrogen named stilbestrol, which would then become known as diethylstilbestrol, or DES, which was first synthesized by a graduate student named Leon Goldberg. And it was able to be produced, very importantly, as a very fine powder. So it could be put in pure form, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, It was found to be extremely potent. It was about three times more powerful than any naturally occurring estrogen. And that's uh, also important for uh, application, right? Because it doesn't take as much. Um, Very interestingly, apparently because this powder that they were working with of this DES was so fine, Mm -hmm. it was easily inhaled. And some of the male lab workers at this lab began developing breast tissue. 
because they were basically inhaling estrogen, (laughs) which goes to show what hormones can do to the human body. And if it's that fine as well, uh, not only inhaling it, just even if it get, you can ingest it through your skin if it's fine enough. Like absorption. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's that's why I mean that that's why where you see in all of the like places that produce either market marijuana or medical marijuana, Mm -hmm. people that are working on it stuff, they're always wearing thick gloves so it doesn't. I can so imagine, that, yeah. So then all of a sudden they're not like, wow, I feel really. <laughs> right? Well, especially oils and mm-hmm. stuff, right? Very mm-hmm. easily absorbed for sure. So DES was kind of like a unicorn in the pharmaceutical world in terms of cost. It was quite cheap to produce, relatively speaking. Bonus. Yep, it was potent. And because it had been developed in a publicly funded laboratory, no patent. So anybody could produce it. Anyone can manufacture it. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure whoever's in charge of that lobby is. <laughs> oh, that's I, I, I was going to say, yeah, That's that, this was probably the last time this that is, happened. This is 1938, <laughs> yeah. 39. Yeah. They're like, wait a uh-huh. second. Uh-huh. So obviously that allowed for robust marketplace competition. Hashtag fuck capitalism. Probably. I mean, really, I mean, speaking of that, I mean, going a little off topic, um, here in the United States anyway, um, if you have been a tax-paying citizen since, basically since the space program, because um, through the space program came the internet and all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. The internet is a publicly funded thing in America. Mm-hmm. So is the infrastructure. And yet- so, <laughs> so technically, uh-huh. we should, every successful internet company, every taxpayer should see a piece of that because we literally invested our tax dollars in it. into in those companies took that money and were like, okay, yeah. we can make money off of this and just not give any of it to anybody. And it's not even considered a public utility. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Welcome to America. <laughs> I'm sure that I'm sure this is not the only country where that happens, no. but it's just where we have experience. Yes. <laughs> so very interestingly, in the early studies of DES done in the late nineteen thirties results showed up that were indicative of DES being effective at preventing or ending pregnancy. Uh, However, in a move that shows how much the patriarchy has truly fucked with the global medical system, Dodds, Sir Dodds, the one who first figured out synthetic estrogen, he unequivocally denounced the use of DES as any sort of contraception, claiming that the female reproductive system was far too delicate. And that DES, as any sort of uh, birth control or emergency contraception, should never be should never be used as a contraception. Why give women control over their bodies? They're too delicate for that, you see. Good, little, sir. Little flowers. Oh, God. <sighs> and yet, <laughs> those bodies are the ones that can give birth, <laughs> which, yeah, is which is not delicate. Which is, no. I have witnessed that <laughs> no. shit. It is not delicate at all. I wouldn't think so. No. I am never going to witness it. <laughs> that's, that's a, I don't recommend witnessing it. I no. did when I was 21. No. <laughs> that was enough. No, that seems like it would probably be about the most painful thing your body can go through. That's uh, pretty much... Well, from what I understand, aside from something torturous, sure. right? 
But that's um, but, yeah, but that's tor- not, tor- torture is not natural. No, that's right. Aside from that, <laughs> what I, what I have heard it's is natural in some societies, but <laughs> what I have heard is that the only thing that may rival it. Now this is all subjective, right? Is kidney, kidney stones. stones. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which that doesn't sound like fun. Never either. been through either. Knock on yeah. wood. Yes. So, um, I only have to knock for the kidney stones. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. No, trust me. I'm never giving birth. One way or the other, I'm never fucking giving birth. Not gonna hear any. Not gonna hear any objection from me. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so interestingly, too, Dodds clearly stated that there was a possibility of increased risk of cancer with the use of DES and other possible synthetic estrogens. So as a result, Dodds himself was not very eager to utilize this new product that he was largely responsible for creating, for both legitimate and completely patronizing reasons. So regardless of Dodd's concerns, uh, DES began to be used medically in 1939. In the U.S., it was approved by the FDA in 1941 for four specific medical medical conditions. Gonorrhea, menopause symptoms, to suppress lactation, and atrophic vaginitis, which is an inflammation of the vagina due to low estrogen levels. And of course, there were other uses off-label, right? Um, and in other countries where it may have been approved, uh, which included prevention of recurrent miscarriage uh, to use as an emergency contraceptive. Like it's it, it is not analog- exactly analogous, but, you know, like we have plan B now, mm-hmm. that sort of idea uh, to treat acne because a lot of acne is hormone related and to assist trans women during their transition Obviously, at this time in history, we're not being super open and helpful to trans people, but in some cases, this was being worked on. Also, in 1941, it was discovered that DES was useful in treating prostate cancer, giving DES the title of the first cancer drug. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Advanced, a specific type of advanced prostate cancer, but yes. In 1947, the FDA approved DES for an additional use of preventing miscarriage in people who had a history of miscarriages in their pregnancies. And the drug was considered safe for pregnant people and their fetuses. By the way, do you want to hear of something really arcane that just popped up on my radar the last mm. couple of days? I don't think... Is it Texas? No, Texas did like the six-week... Oh, Texas, or something like that. All I can say if Maybe it's Ohio, some state. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to say. There's a lot of anti. I don't want to say the wrong legislation one. Being passed. I, I'm thinking it's Ohio, but I don't want to say the wrong one. Um, you don't want to say the, tr- the wrong fucked up. Uh, well, I mean, every state, every state is fucked up in its own way. It's true. Some are just more uh, blatant. Yeah, than others. But some state is trying to pass a bill where if you have a miscarriage, you have to have um, a, a funeral. funeral. Yeah, that's been bandied about in all sorts of yeah. states yeah which it's like it's like so it's like so the man who is or the men let's face it mm-hmm. who are who are p- proposing that legislation should they have a funeral for their sperm every time they jerk off i think so because it's because it's, li- it's literally the same thing yeah. it, it really is yeah you just killed well, your your body willfully well mm-hmm. actually no a, a miscarriage is not willful it mis- just That's happens right mm-hmm um, it's just, it's just well, so fucked up. Like, <clears throat> by the same logic, uh, would we like to have funerals for used tampons? We yeah, right? Exactly. It's too. the same, it's literally the same thing. It is so <laughs> fucking fucked up. And, uh... That would be easier. Like, like, you could at least make, like, a communal 
like uh-huh. tampon bin and like everybody, you know. <laughs> right. That that would be easier. I don't think anybody is going to propose a communal jerk off space. I'd say this: if those legislatures are willing to, okay, you want to throw a funeral for a miscarriage? How about we give you the material? And you're you yeah, have, have to, to look at it. We have to ship it to your it, office. Yep, and you have to and, look at it. Yeah, and you have to put it in a coffin. To, yeah. And you can you can that is so. Yeah. Fucked. Something your body just naturally does. Mm-hmm. Your body rejects things. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, sometimes that there's, that rejection is of another potential human being. There's some some statistic, and I might be getting this completely wrong. I've that it's like about as, like a I've third. Heard, yes, I was just gonna say I've heard as high as thirty percent because a lot of women don't even realize that they've had. A one. lot of women have mis. It's thought yeah, that a lot of yes. women have miscarriages without realizing it. Yeah. that's true. Yep. 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 Yep fuck the patriarchy and fuck all those men and if any of you who are listening are in a <laughs> we, state we, we, we've all oh okay i, I haven't say. said it on i haven't no said i was it gonna say we already banned people who are <clears throat> no no, no. if uh, yeah if you're in favor of any of that fuck you and fuck off but if you are in a state where you cannot get the health care you need and 100 percent that includes an abortion if you do not wish to be pregnant you give us a little a little ping and we will figure out how to get you where you can get the necessary medical care to take care of your body the way you need it to be taken care of and fucking fucking fuck those assholes who think any differently they can go to hell except there's no hell which that really fucking sucks i wish there was i'd go there if i could see them i hope there is for their sake Mm mm-hmm well, I've said many I'll see, times. Because I'll see them there too, but I'll be the one laughing. Exactly. I've said many times. <laughs> I gladly, I would love for there to be a hell. I'll gladly go if I get to watch every motherfucker yeah. walk in. Yeah. If I saw Joel Osteen in hell, I'd be like, that's that's hilarious. Yes. Like, way to go, Joel. And he's not Did, even the worst. No. <laughs> that's the sad part. Didn't, didn't, didn't get to take any of that money with you, huh? Hey, what a, Mitch. What a, what a, what a yeah. <laughs> Wow, your face looks even worse. I, I, no, I'd be, I'd be scared to see Mitch McConnell in hell because somehow, like he's he, like he would... the second in <laughs> command. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was possessed. He would all like along. he would like overtake the devil somehow. <laughs> Probably. All right. Yes. Uh, so, uh, the miscarriage prevention protocol for using des was pretty hardcore so basically starting at like um seven or eight weeks into pregnancy so first of all des was dosed in tablets of up to five milligrams but this prevention protocol started that oh and then they increased the single tablet dosage to 25 milligrams and then eventually to 100 milligrams because of this protocol because you had to start taking Five milligrams every day for a couple of weeks, okay. like around week seven and eight in your pregnancy, and you keep increasing it. Eventually, you're taking 125 milligrams per day, 35 weeks into pregnancy. So you're taking this for months, this drug, right? The whole idea being it's supposed to prevent miscarriage. So in people who, and and this is us. And I feel horrible for people who have to go through this. But there is a, there are people who wish to be pregnant who unfortunately suffer from multiple mm-hmm. miscarriages. Sure. It's devastating. It's horrible. And I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Um, so the idea was that this would make it safer and more 
less likely to have a miscarriage and more likely to be able to carry a, a pregnancy to term. Um, and it was a popular drug. It was frequently prescribed. It hit its sales peak in the around 1953. And prescriptions kept going out throughout the 60s. But a University of Chicago study found that it had zero effect in preventing miscarriage. Okay. And we're like, yeah, this isn't doing what you think it's doing. But it was still being prescribed for that because it was still approved for that. The founder of DES Action, an organization for people exposed to DES, was a woman named Pat Cody, stated that during her just routine protocol on DES to help prevent miscarriage, she had taken a total of 10,100 milligrams of DES or roughly during the course of her pregnancy or, quote, roughly the equivalent of 500,000 of today's low Dose birth control pills, end quote. Okay. That's how much hormone was being pumped Jesus. into these people's bodies. Yeah, it's pretty hardcore. Uh, DES was also used for other ridiculously patronizing things like deliberately stunting growth in girls during puberty so that they wouldn't grow too tall. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's some maddening patriarchy in here. It's like fucking Handmaid's Tale shit, some of this stuff, I swear. Uh, <laughs> so will America be in the next couple of years. Yeah, we're getting there. It was also used in chemical castration. Notably, do you know who Alan Turing is? Mm-mm. So uh, I think Benedict Cumberbatch played him in a movie recently. He was like a cryptographer. Oh, well in the, the world, yeah, the World um, War yep, II. around yeah. World War II, yep. Yes. A British cryptographer. Uh, I did watch that movie. Cryptographer. Okay. It was pretty good. He had been found guilty of sex offenses, mm-hmm. meaning he was gay. Yeah. And so it, he was not molesting anybody or hurting well, anybody. He got married to his lab partner. She knew he was gay. Um, she did it to basically try to protect him. Right, uh, right be a mm-hmm. cover for him. Mm-hmm. Um. But yes, he was convicted of sex offenses, meaning having gay sex, um, and they forced him to take DES as a form of chemical castration. He also, he cracked, um, it was, uh, he cracked like a major, major yes. code. Not um, the U-bomb stuff. No, or that the, was something. The U-boat stuff. No. But, um, it had something to do, it had something to do with a radio communication that they were yelling. using. Something like that. It was the- yeah, because he's a huge figure. Yes, historical he, he, pre- figure. he prevented the slaughters of right. untold amounts of people because of cracking this code. And as a thanks, he was chemically castrated. Yeah, there you go. You know. Because you're gay. Yep. We can't have that. Thanks for saving all these people, by the right. way. But you need to leave. We he also died under you. mysterious circumstances. Yeah, I'm yeah. Sure. yeah. Well, I mean, let's face it, the, the UK is not exactly a bastion for freedom either never really has been <laughs> they are our mother <laughs> they are our brethren <laughs> the, the parallels are very similar of course the pharmaceutical companies manufacturing des including eli Lilly and company mm-hmm. and bristol myers squibb aggressively marketed the drug and we have a great old-fashioned drug I would, ad i would i would have been like a, yeah. would you like to read this oh it's a ba- picture of a baby what does it say it says Really? With the question mark. Yes. Desplex to prevent abortion, miscarriage, and premature labor. I feel like I should be reading it in my transatlantic accent. Mm -hmm. Recommended for routine. I can't read that word. In all pregnancies. 
Routine prophylaxis. Prophylaxis. 96% can live with desplex in one series of 1,200 patients. Bigger and stronger babies, too. No <laughs> gastric or other side effects <laughs> with desplex in either high or low dosage. <laughs> bigger uh, Desplex. Babies. Bigger babies. <laughs> Who wants a bigger baby? Especially when they're in the womb already, so you can <laughs> shove out a watermelon. Exactly. <laughs> uh. So it's not known for sure how many people ended up taking DES, but estimates are between 5 to 10 million were exposed to DES either by taking it or by being the fetus involved in the pregnancy, so in utero. Mm-hmm. Uh, also very notably, DES was used as a growth stimulant in poultry and livestock. That's not surprising. Yeah. It's... Yep. And it was not fully phased out of the food supply until I, 1979. I was just going to say, who knows how long they were doing that. So we're not even sure of the effects now of they've DES found like pro- Now they've found probably like cheaper and more effective ways to mm-hmm. fatten up chickens, which is what they do all they the time. They still use plenty of hormones, yeah. just not this one. So leading up to 1970, a, young, a group of young women were observed at Massachusetts General Hospital who had developed a rare form of cancer known as clear cell adenocarcinoma of the vagina. So that a form of vaginal cancer. Sounds like a real hoot. A rare form of vaginal cancer in young women. Like, it was very specific. Around the same time, a 17-year-old girl from Syracuse, Mm. New York, named Sheila Stone Brennan, had also developed this cancer. 17 and getting vaginal cancer. Sheila's mother, Penny Stone, became convinced. She was like racking her brain and she's like wait i took des when i was pregnant uh, with sheila uh, and she was like i'm pretty sure that the high dosage of des may have fucked with my daughter's health too penny had had two uneventful pregnancies prior to sheila so just completely normal non-medicated but began spotting during her third pregnancy so bleeding a little bit and so her doctor was like hey to be on the safe side to prevent miscarriage, which this drug did not do, let's give you DES. So she took that whole anti-miscarriage protocol, that massive amount, 10,000 10, grams or whatever the fuck they were taking, right? Milligrams, not grams. <laughs> so after aggressively advocating the possible link between DES and her daughter's cancer, Penny eventually convinced her daughter's oncologists to investigate, and they contacted the mass gen doctors observing similar cases to see if there was a link. When the doctors investigated, DES use was discovered in most of the patient's mothers mm-hmm. during their pregnancies. It was like seven out of eight or something like that. It was like, a here we go again. pretty, yeah. Um, and research definitively linked DES to vaginal clear cell adenocarcinoma. Further studies were published in 1970 and 1971, leading the FDA to notify doctors. So this was an advisory. This was not a ban. They notified doctors not to prescribe DES during pregnancy. But because it was just a warning and not a ban, DES continued to be prescribed by some doctors throughout the 70s and even into the 80s, both in the U.S. and internationally. While exact numbers of those exposed in utero aren't known, like we said, 5 to 10 million might be the ballpark It's of all people, it's estimated that up to 2 million in the U.S. people were exposed in utero to DES, with unknown numbers of others exposed in other countries, most notably the U.K., France, and the Netherlands. 
While this rare form of vaginal cancer was perhaps the most glaring risk of DES exposure, it was not the only possible health consequence. Other links were made to underdeveloped reproductive tracts in women exposed to DES, so like underdeveloped uterus, underdeveloped ovaries, uh, some, which sometimes led to increased infertility, an increased risk of miscarriage, and ectopic pregnancy. Oh, God, that's, yeah, that, I know, well, I, I know. I've heard that that's pretty fucking painful. Well, it's it's deadly if it's yeah. not immediately intervened mm-hmm. upon once discovered. Um, it's a it's implantation. The, it's, the ba- it's the baby's being born in the, an area it shouldn't be. Basically, the developed. fetus the yeah. fetus um is attaching to the fallopian tube. Yeah, that just sounds. The fallopian tube is not meant God, for no. <laughs> the uterus expands. The uterus is meant God, to be the home of a fetus. Awful. The the fallopian tube is not. Isn't that what Amy Schumer meant... was going through? No, she had hyperemesis gravidum, I believe is what oh. it's called. She, oh, that one. <laughs> she had barf, lots of barfing mm-hmm. while she was, She just was constantly sick, like horribly sick, which mm. causes like dehydration. Pregnancy is a motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, I would not have wanted to do it like no. before the year 2000. I would never <laughs> want to do it. Never, yeah. never, 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 never. Um, increased risk of other cancers like cervical and breast cancer. There's a possible link between that and DES. Now... More women have been studied who have been exposed to DES, but obviously the women who were prescribed DES during their pregnancy had sons too. And even though it's less studied, there is a link uh, between men who are exposed to DES in utero and uh, problems with the testicles, including undescended testicles and testicular cysts. Oh God, that, I know. Here's a picture just to kind of show you what old old timey prescription bottles used to look like. I know it, it looks so unsanitary. <laughs> I know it's glass, <laughs> but well, it's no, but no glass is glass is very safe. But um, but um, have you ever heard not of the... very safe? Obviously, <laughs> you know what I mean. Sterilizable yes. and yeah, yes, very um, easy to sterilize. Have you ever heard of the 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 Tylenol murders? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's when they first started using going the to the plastic. Seals. Yep. Or just seals. That's right, yes. <laughs> they didn't used to be sealed. When I, funny story, when I was a little kid, and I don't remember this, my mom has told me this story a million times, we were at like my uncle's house for a, a wedding or something mm-hmm. like that, I was staying there, and I found a bottle of pills and I was playing with them. Oh no. And uh, yeah, my parents freaked out because they didn't know if I had taken any. Sure. Or, and I, I, you had just been like playing with them yeah, with little toys or something. I don't remember, so I don't... That They know yeah. if you didn't, you didn't have ill effects. Mm-hmm. Like, like you may not have even taken any. Right, you know? but there there was a time, even when I was a little kid, that there was no child-proof anything. Yeah. <laughs> well, and beyond child-proof, <clears throat> tamper-proof. Just pa- tamper-proof, yes. Just even being sealed. Sealed. Yeah, because mm-hmm. somebody, that's how literally somebody killed people, was just by putting poison that pills. Is, that is one of the, like, better things that I've seen people have picked up on with the pandemic is... Like if you go to a restaurant or other, te- they will seal things, which is, mm. it doesn't sound like that much. It, it's mm-hmm. a very tiny little extra step. However, it creates, it creates a barrier for mm-hmm. where, so that's, that seems to be a bit of a lesson we have learned from, from the pandemic. More, um, concern of sterilization yes. and yeah. 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 I would sure hope so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah let's hope so. Mm-hmm. Um, well, even like, uh. When we were talking to your uncle this past weekend, mm-hmm. and he was vaccinated, he mm-hmm. he completely said he was vaccinated. We were standing pretty close to each other, and I still was like, "This is really weird, standing so close to somebody now that I know how many spit molecules." Right? <laughs> yeah, we know so much more. Yeah, 
even somebody who is vaccinated is mm-hmm. still just like, ew. Yeah. Like, I've pretty much decided um, anytime I take a plane from here oh, on out, yes. I'm going to wear a mask. And it's mostly, you know what? It's mostly for other people's protection, not necessarily yeah. your own. Well, that's the idea. Because you don't know what the hell you have floating around your system usually either. You know? I, I've, you know what? I've just been wearing it. Pretty much I still, I still pretty much. I go out. If I go into a store, I still pretty much do. I just got used to it after a while. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Yeah, I, I don't mind it. It hides my, my blemishes. It's, it's kind of nice. Anyway, so, despite its declining use after 1971, when the FDA warned doctors not to use DES uh, for their pregnant, uh, I said clients, patients. <laughs> Same thing. (laughs) DES continued to be used for other reasons, including, as I mentioned before, as an emergency contraceptive, which had become more common at university healthcare facilities. In 1973, which was the same year of the Roe v. Wade decision. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say, yeah. Mm -hmm. An FDA drug bulletin was sent to U.S. doctors and pharmacists saying that the FDA had approved possible contraceptive use of DES, But two years later, in 1975, the FDA said, no, they hadn't given any such approval to any drug manufacturer, but they were willing to maybe approve it as emergency contraception in cases of incest and rape, which can we please just say in cases of unwanted pregnancy Mm -hmm. or possible risk of pregnancy in a situation where the person at risk, does not wish to be pregnant. But you're not seeing it through the eyes of the Lord. The Lord still wants that child to, yeah. Because if I was born into the world one day, I would want to find out that the reason I'm here is because my mother was raped and that she couldn't terminate me. That would make me feel awesome. It's so problematic in so many ways. Yeah. Everything is so I would pretty much, if, if, I, if I found that out one day, be like, why didn't you just like... <laughs> <laughs> You're saying that very flippantly. I, I don't want to. I am flippantly, yes. I, and I. I also don't want to trigger anyone who maybe that is what their circumstance. That's was. true. Yeah. You know, because that's horrible. That is horrible. For all parties involved. For all parties involved, but we are glad all our listeners are here, regardless of how they got here, and that, and that none of you are troglodytes. Well, yeah. Otherwise, they'd have yes. uh, stopped listening and given <laughs> yes. us a one-star review. Yes, that's right. <clears throat> so. Um, they, they still worked to reduce DES's use as a, like a plan B type drug and emergency contraception by taking higher dosage pills off the market and requiring a warning label that said that DES quote, should not be used as a postcoital contraceptive end quote. Eventually, by the 80s, other drugs became more favorable for emergency contraception. So at that point, the case kind of became moot because there were better drugs for it. Unfortunately, the use of DES during pregnancies, um, during the pregnancies in which they were described, is the unwanted gift that keeps on giving. So there are, unfortunately, multi-generational consequences wow. to this yeah okay long-term studies which, continue which you can't really say about thalidomide i don't believe i think thalidomide if i remember it just was just got the, passed on to the well, child and... yes but the it it involves some very clear birth defects right like it did. physical disabilities it did. that's and stuff true versus um 
But I don't think any of those people carried it on to like if they had kids. You know right. I, mean? I don't think we. I don't think they I, did. No, I don't think we heard anything about that. But yes. Um. So there are still long term studies. Da- this makes it more dangerous. Yes, there are still yes. long term studies going on. But basically, there are what they call what they label. And again, these these are very gendered labels. But the DES mothers, mm-hmm. who are the people who who were prescribed DES during their pregnancy. Then there are the DES daughters and the DES sons who were exposed in utero and who are at a higher risk of all those complications I mentioned. Then it appears that the children of this second generation, the so-called DES grandchildren, Mm -hmm. also may experience increased health risks because of their grandmothers taking DES and their mothers in utero exposure. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, it's the that um, what's that fucking trippy statistic that, or just sort of medical fact that a person who is born with ovaries is born with all of the eggs in their ovaries that they will ever have in their lifetime. Their body does the, oh, okay. the body That's... doesn't like create eggs throughout a person's lifetime. It's like they're all in there from birth. So if they're all in there from birth, they could all any of them could carry any genetic mutations or defects. It's it's fucked up. I don't know. I'm not having a kid. The human body, man. It's fucking weird. It is fucking weird. In 1978, DES Action was founded as a nonprofit advocacy group for those exposed to DES. I got a lot of good information from their website. So understandably, multiple lawsuits were launched against drug manufacturers. In 1979, a 25-year-old woman named Joyce Bickler, who had been exposed to DES uh, because of her mother and had survived her cancer, successfully sued manufacturer Eli Lilly and got a half a million dollars in award. Mm -hmm. Other lawsuits have taken place and continue to take place because if... People were taking this between roughly 1940 and 1970, mm-hmm. and their There's grandchildren are affected. Well, and plus, that's the baby boom right there. It is. It encompasses the entire mm-hmm. baby boom. My mother was born during that period. Mm-hmm. I don't know if my grandmother took DES. Maybe right. she did. She probably wouldn't remember, mm-hmm. you know, if it was just sort of a common thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, God knows. Except God doesn't exist, so there's it. But whatever. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it, it, it the, this stuff is still ongoing. For example, a major case against Eli Lilly was settled in 2013. Oh, I'm yeah. I, Eli Lilly, they, they pop up quite a bit. In, well, in no, this, uh... but, but I mean that 2013, they had stopped using it or prescribing oh, sure. it years earlier. Sure. You know? DES used to kind... Use declined rapidly in the 90s, eventually only being approved for use in advanced prostate cancer and advanced breast cancer in postmenopausal women. So very specific applications. And uh, in a 1997, in, in 1997, a documentary called A Healthy Baby Girl was aired on PBS. And that followed a 25-year-old woman named Judith Hef- Helfland who had been exposed to DES in utero and ended up having to have an emergency hysterectomy. At age 25, her uterus had to be removed due to her cervical cancer developed because of her mother's Mm. being prescribed DES. That same year, 1997, so at this point we're only 24 years out of this, 
the last manufacturer still making DES, which was Eli Lilly, finally stopped making and marketing the drug. And DES exposure and its consequences are still being studied to this day. Wow. Wow. So this is still and going that, on. that, my friends, was the story of diethylstilbestrol. No kidding. Wow. Isn't that... what? What's so insidious about it is the multi-generational aspect. Just the fa- And then it's like, well, when is it going to stop in these <laughs> family lines? Apparently not anytime soon. Well, and it's <clears throat> it's very nebulous and it's, it's not really known. Plus, who knows how many people were affected by consuming poultry or beef. True. With this. Apparently, uh, there was evidence that... But we, but we need to decrease regulation. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently there's... Um, That's the way you solve this problem. Yeah. Even up to, uh, I think I read like 2011, there was evidence of um, DES still being used as a hormone in certain I've production. heard of Not the... Not in the U.S. Right. I've the The... Hang on. Uh, diethyl stilbestrol. Mm-hmm. I've never heard the... I have heard of DES. Really? I've heard, I've heard of it, yeah. As a hormone? As a, I've as just, a drug? I've just heard of it. Huh. I, I don't know. That's interesting. Randomly. I had not. It's probably because I... In that you're industry... In the world, you're in yes. the pharmaceutical industry, yes. yeah. Uh, but I didn't know... Yeah, that's crazy. It's still going on. Well, it's still affecting sure. people. Yeah. It's still very much affecting still people. Still an issue. Mm-hmm. And just the idea of like, um, like being twenty, well, being seventeen and getting vaginal cancer, like an extremely rare vaginal cancer, and it was because of a drug your mom was prescribing. I know, when she right? Was pregnant, like what? Well, I mean, the 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 company I work for just passed a landmark drug, mm-hmm. um, which I found out the other day. I am going to be working on. Really? Okay. If, uh, um, if you told me when I was fucking 18 mm-hmm. <laughs> that someday when I when I grow up and be like a full grown adult human person <laughs> that I would be working on like a like anything science related I've been mm-hmm. like yeah get the fuck out of here like that's never happening uh-huh. and, and I don't even have a college degree so <laughs> but um it's making me it does make me think of because I work in that industry it's like what if I what if what I'm making winds up hurting people through no fault of my own like well, i'm just you have nothing to do with it the no but still it, so. that, that thought does cross my mind well and it's entirely possible yeah like uh now nowadays we have very different regulations surrounding drugs right we, we do but but we also have we also have lobbyists who know how to grease the wheels in the right places you know i mean it's not that is all true uh the fda i mean there are a lot of good things about it but they're not foolproof no, that's absolutely true, and it, you're right. That could absolutely happen, but it it seems like I think part of what made this drug so kind of like fall through the cracks sure. is the timing. Right. It was like the it, ma- miracles of modern it, science. Yes. Age. Oh, and there's in this area, there's all yeah. sorts of shit coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, thalidomide this comes is out. This thalidomide era. Yes. This yes. Is, Polio was a yes. thing. Still. We just got we just got past radium as a uh, during this time. This was becoming popular during World War Two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and then lot, the baby boom. Well, there was a lot of fucking going on. Yeah, well, there was a lot of a lot of stuff mm-hmm. going on. So especially fucking <laughs> <laughs> and having children. But uh, but it's I mean, 
I mean, what can you say? I mean, it's it. It's terrible. I, I'm sure. I'm sure this was not the net outcome of the people that designed this. You know what I mean? It's no, just... but interestingly, the guy who kind of found it foresaw some issues with it. Sure. Even if some of them were like the delicate system of a woman, um, and, and that stupidity, like. He, he also was saying, like, it acted as a contraceptive, and it's like, well, then why would you give it to a woman who's but Yeah, it does, yeah, kind of, yeah. <laughs> and wanted to be, yeah. you know? So it, it, it was, yeah, it, the I think because just the mechanisms weren't really understood. Sure. And then that studies were saying, hey, guys, this doesn't really help do the thing that you're prescribing it for, and they kept prescribing it. Anyway, yeah. So who knows how many people were exposed to this after it was discovered. Mm-hmm. Actually, we know a lot of well, people. Plenty of people. Because even after 1971, when the FDA was like, hey, don't prescribe this, people still were. Mm-hmm. Because they didn't actually ban it. Yeah, what you would think would... that's See, that that doesn't make any sense to me either. Like, it'd be like, no, we said don't you, prescribe this. You are this. not allowed to use this. So this, here's yeah. a fine. Yeah. The next time you do it, uh, there'll be an indictment. I'm not sure of the FDA's uh, procedures for stuff like I that. Don't, I don't know either. Because um, they are not a... They're obviously, they're not a criminal division. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't I don't think they have right. that kind of power. But I'm just, I'm just saying you would think... Something. You know. Well, and also, I did want to mention, I know I, I made, this kind of felt pretty US-centric, but like I said, especially in Europe, this drug was also being used. Mm. There's a major UK connection sure. to this drug. It was use, used in the UK, especially because it was discovered in the UK. And nowadays, I mean, most pharmaceutical companies are, are global. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And these were, so. these were large pharmaceutical companies mm-hmm. as well. But I just thought that this was such a fascinating little... What feels like a niche story, everyone, well, I can't say everyone's heard of thalidomide, but thalidomide mm-hmm. is one of those things you hear about, right? Mm-hmm. Who's heard of diethylstilbestrol? Yeah, n- nobody. Yeah. <laughs> People can't even pronounce it. Yeah, <laughs> it, like... feel, it feels like a little bit of a, a the, well, silent thalidomide yeah. is, its, is its little nickname, so. but it's a, fitting, just, it's a fitting nickname. I think part of it, too, I think maybe part of why it's not as well known is because the statistics are very bleary. Mm-hmm. We don't know for sure. And we still don't know the, the lasting effects and to whom. Yeah. And I'm going to guess it's not probably like the most studied thing at this point. There's, yeah, there's, the, there's other things the that... The DES Action yeah. website had a timeline where they specified like their gains in terms of getting uh, commissions funded to be able to investigate the um, effects of the drug and how far it reached and how many generations. So they definitely have gotten state funding. Um, They've been advocating for people who have been affected by this for now, well, they were founded in 78 for like over 40 years. Mm -hmm. So their website's a good... um, resource and you know what the the wild thing is i guess like there's a decent chance any number of our listeners had parents or grandparents oh, who sure. were exposed to this yeah and then by all virtue, we know maybe they were for too. All we know we could have been yes that's what i'm saying <laughs> I mean, my mom was born yeah. right in this time yeah. it is very possible my grandmother took this mm-hmm. 
Um, in fact, like many, 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 many women, I'm pretty sure my grandmother actually, I recall hearing that my grandmother at one point did suffer a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. So I, know, I wouldn't I know be at my, all surprised. I know my mother had one the first time she became pregnant. That's not at all uncommon. Yeah. So who knows how many of our moms, our grandmas, mm-hmm. ever, like ended up being prescribed this out of a out of a very understandable fear yeah. like hey i've had a miscarriage mm-hmm. i don't want this to happen again or yeah. i'm oh i'm i'm bleeding a little bit yeah Is i can't imagine problem, how uh, you know? yeah i can't imagine how traumatic that would be yes and it's 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 i was gonna say it's playing on fears but the doctors thought it worked too sure. so it's not like the doctors were trying to fear monger it, it was thought to it, was, help. it was a real thing it was really thought to help yeah. and and it didn't at all and it actually ended up first of all it didn't help at all no and then it ended up hurting some people mm-hmm. And I, I didn't see specific death statistics, but regardless of whether people ended up dying from this rare form of cancer or other complications, it fucked up their lives. Sure. So, yeah, it's pretty shit. Well, good times again. <laughs> we're, we're, Great we're, oldies. We're, we're, we're back to it. <laughs> back back after, we go. After a one-week reprieve of having a little fun. <laughs> Just talking about sports. Yeah. So, uh... That was diethylstilbestrol. Very good. Yes, diethylstilbestrol, uh, otherwise known as DES. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week.